Hello, and welcome to Slush, a publishing podcast. I'm your host, Eric Harden, and on this week's episode, I'll be giving you a brief introduction to the publishing industry. I think it's fairly safe to assume that most of the people listening to this podcast at least understand at a very broad level what publishing is. You know, a lot of us have wanted to work in publishing for a long time. If you're like me, I had always dreamt of this since the sixth grade, but my knowledge of the publishing industry was very vague and kind of ethereal. It was more general than anything else. And so I think it's helpful especially for those of you who know almost nothing about the industry, to at least give a very brief introduction to some of the different players in publishing, the different types of publishers, the different publishers themselves of varying sizes. And then I also want to give a little bit of an intro to the different formats of books that are published within trade publishing. So first, let's dive into the different players in publishing, the kind of big groups of interested parties within the publishing industry. There are many throughout the industry, of course, but these are kind of like the big buckets of the industry. So the biggest and the most obvious in publishing are the publishers themselves. These are the companies that publish the books that are sold. And included in the bucket of publishers is, of course, all of the employees that work on the books. And so this group is what we'll be focusing on in this podcast for the most part, the people that work at publishers and the people that make the books themselves. The next big bucket, and it's the most important bucket, are the authors, the illustrators, the creators who actually create the art that is made into a book. I mean, there's really not much to say here other than books would not exist without authors and illustrators. So thank you for creating books. It allows me to have a job. It allows many people to have careers that they're proud of and dream for. Um, yes. And then the next bucket would be agents and agencies. So for people that don't know what an agent is, a literary agent is a professional who acts as a representative for authors in order to help them get better business deals because the publishing industry is very confusing in general, but especially when it comes to legal contracts and making deals with publishers because at the end of the day, a publisher wants the best deal possible, so they're going to offer an author maybe less than they would necessarily want or deserve. And so the agent's job is to help the author get the deal initially and then also make sure that it's a good deal based on their prior sales record if they have one, their platform, their experience, their potential sales opportunities, etc. Some agents work independently, some work within larger agencies, so there's a whole ecosystem of agents out there. The next bucket, and I'm sorry if this bucket metaphor is annoying, but the next bucket is bookstores and booksellers. These are the people that take the books that we create and sell them to customers. So obviously a very vital part of this industry. And then finally, the last bucket that I wanted to mention really quickly are libraries and librarians, which are a huge part of the publishing marketplace and industry. Libraries make up such a large portion of a publisher's sales. And also most of the people are reading books. Well, I don't know if, if technically it's most. I don't have any statistics on this, but a large number of people access books through libraries. So many people reading our books are reading them through a public or a school library. So we're very grateful to libraries and librarians. Thank you to them. So now that we know that those are the kind of the five big players in publishing, I do want to talk more specifically about the different types of publishers, because again, this podcast is focused on publishers themselves and working for them. So there are kind of four main types of publishers. The first is trade publishing, which again is the type of publishing that we'll be discussing in this podcast. And trade publishers publish mainly fiction and nonfiction books that are sold through retail channels. So books sold at bookstores, at department stores, online, on Amazon, at Barnes & Noble, etc. Basically any book that a consumer buys at like a regular retail place is a trade book. 
And then we have scholarly publishers. This includes university presses. And scholarly publishers publish the results of research in books and journals. And it's provided mainly to libraries, scholars, and researchers by various aggregators and hosting services. So like if you think of the JSTOR situation, um, I'm trying to think of other examples, but they're like journals, longer texts that are primarily used for scholarly research. And I do want to say while talking about scholarly publishers, because university presses also live within this bubble, this ecosystem, university presses also publish trade books sometimes or oftentimes, but they're kind of straddling that line between the two. So they do publish sometimes trade books, but they also do primarily, I believe, focus on scholarly texts. The next type of publisher are educational publishers, and they publish content typically as textbooks augmented and enhanced by platforms for teaching in schools, colleges, and universities. So this is like your McGraw-Hill, your Cengage, etc. They publish textbooks that are used in college and in high school. And then finally, the fourth type that I want to talk about, at least, I'm sure there are probably other types. I just don't. I am not an expert. But the fourth type that I do want to re- uh, mention I almost said reference, which is apropos, given that these are reference publishers. Uh, And reference publishers publish content in forms designed for looking up information rather than for reading from front to back. So like a dictionary, a thesaurus, an encyclopedia, etc. The Chicago Manual of Style is published by a reference publisher. Although actually, I think... I think University of Chicago actually publishes reference texts. So there is some like gray area within these categories and certain publishers, for instance, Macmillan, the company that I work at, has a trade wing of trade publishing. But then we also, I believe, have an educational wing with textbooks and other educational texts. So just because there are different types of publishers doesn't mean that those publishers are independent of each other and don't bleed together Certain like larger publishing companies might have several wings that do several different types of publishing, but they are independent types of publishing. And so with that out of the way, I do want to talk specifically about trade publishing. It's kind of impossible to talk about trade publishing without talking about the big five. And so for anyone that doesn't know what the big five are, the big five are the five largest publishers in the U.S. trade industry. And they publish, I don't have statistics, but A vast majority of the books that are published each year are published by the Big Five. The Big Five publishers are Penguin Random House, Simon & Schuster, HarperCollins, Hachette, and Macmillan. All five of the companies are part of a larger media-based parent company. So, for instance, PRH, Penguin Random House, is owned by Bertelsmann, which is a German company, I believe. Simon & Schuster is owned by the same company that owns CBS, although they are currently trying to sell Simon & Schuster to Penguin Random House. So we might have a big four soon. We don't know. As of recording this, it is still the big five, but this is up in the air. HarperCollins is owned by News Corp, which is the same company that owns Fox News and is overall owned by Rupert Murdoch. Hachette is owned by the Lagardier Company or the Lagardier Group. I have no idea if that pronunciation is correct because it is a French company and I don't speak French. And then finally, Macmillan is owned by Holtzbrink, which is a German company as well. So all of these companies are the largest in the industry, but they're also just one singular part of a larger media ecosystem. So they're very large, very powerful companies overall. There are some pros to working at a big five company and there are some cons. So I do want to kind of touch on those as I'm talking through the different sizes of publishers. The pros for working for a big five, in my opinion, at least, are number one, larger budgets because they are larger companies. They have more money and so they can spend more money on certain things including buying bigger books, paying higher marketing and publicity costs to get those books out there. The merch can be better. Like there's so many, the money is just more abundant within a big five. 
They also publish more books overall, so the number of books published per year is much higher. And arguably, there's more opportunities for career advancement because there are just so many more jobs in the big five than there are at smaller companies. Now, they are also quite corporate, generally speaking, the big five. So that in itself does kind of quell those opportunities for advancement because they are so corporate and it can be hard to advance, especially if you're staying within one company. And it's also it can be hard to stand out in a larger pool of applicants and employees at these larger companies. So that is also a con. It's kind of a mixed bag choosing to work for a big five. It's really up to the opportunities that you have and then also what kind of experience you want to gain from it. Big Five is obviously a great opportunity if you can get a job there, but there are others as well. Before I get to those others, though, I do want to talk specifically about imprints because while the Big Five are not the only publishing companies that have imprints, they are the ones that are most well-known because of their size and their name recognition within the industry and within the world as a whole. So first... An imprint is an arm or a division of a publishing company that publishes a specific type of books, generally by genre, age group, or other category of readership. One publishing company might have an imprint for romance novels. They might have another imprint for horror or science fiction or fantasy or history or contemporary novels or literary fiction. There's so many different genres that might warrant their own imprint within a publishing company. I wanted to talk about imprint specifically tied to the Big Five because the Big Five has a large number of identifiable imprints that some people might mistake as actual publishers themselves because their names are so ubiquitous within the industry. So for instance, Knopf and Berkeley, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing Knopf correctly, but who knows, are both imprints of Penguin Random House. Harlequin, which is, if you don't know, a huge name in romance, is an imprint of HarperCollins. And Tor, which is super well known for science fiction and fantasy, is an imprint of Macmillan. The main reason that most of these well-known imprints are so well-known is because they used to be independent publishing companies themselves that were then acquired by larger publishers over decades of industry consolidation. So Harlequin used to be an independent publisher that was then acquired by HarperCollins, and so now it has become an imprint. So a lot of these imprints already have a certain amount of name recognition within the industry and within the market because they were their own company at one point. That causes, I think, a good deal of confusion, especially with people that are newly entering the industry, because it can just be confusing to know, like, what's the difference between a publisher versus an imprint? And really, it's just that the publisher is the company as a whole that's publishing all the books, and an imprint is a subset of that publisher that's publishing specific types of books generally. So now that we've covered imprints, let's move to mid-sized publishers. These publishers, as their name suggests, are smaller than the big five. And like the big five, they are often owned by larger companies, but some are individual entities as well. Some examples uh, of mid-sized publishers include Scholastic, Grove Atlantic, W.W. Norton Company, which are all actually independently owned or not a part of a larger parent company. And then Abrams, which is also a mid-sized publisher, but is actually owned by a larger parent media company. It's kind of more of a mixed bag because some of them are owned by larger companies. Some of them are independently acting. And so In addition to a good number of these publishers being independently run, separate from other larger companies, there are some differences between midsize and big five publishers. Generally speaking, midsize publishing budgets are not as big because they are smaller companies. They also generally publish fewer books per year than the big five. And because of that, hypothetically, there are probably less overall career advancement opportunities. 
I do want to just point out that I've only ever worked at a big five publisher. So I don't know specifically, like I don't have any personal experience working at a midsize. This is just what I've heard through friends and what I've picked up through the industry. I could be wrong about this, but it seems to me that there is less overall career advancement opportunity in a midsize publisher just because of the smaller size of the company itself. But with that said, there's also generally less of a corporate atmosphere. It's less of a big company like bureaucratic system, generally speaking. But again, don't know from personal experience. So this is just what I've gleaned. The next size of publisher really is the independent publisher, which are smaller than the midsize. These are very small, generally independent, scrappy publishing companies that are not owned by any larger company. They are owned by usually an individual or a small group, and they are independent of any other larger company. Examples of independent publishers include Akashic Books, The Feminist Press, City Lights Publishers, Verso Books, Grey Wolf Press, etc., These companies generally have much tighter budgets because they're much smaller companies. They publish a much shorter list of books annually, but they're also so much less corporate, which can give you more of a small business feeling, which can be appealing. And generally speaking, when you work at a smaller publisher like this, you're going to be wearing a lot more hats because there's just less money to pay as many people as are needed to publish books. Because as you learn throughout this podcast, there is a long list of people working on every book, doing all different types of jobs. At a bigger company that has more money and more resources, you can hire more people. At a smaller company with less revenue, less resources, you can't really afford to hire that many people. So the people that are working there are, generally speaking, doing a much broader amount of work from different departments. That can be seen as a pro or a con based on your goals as you develop in your career. I've heard great things about starting at an independent publisher because you do learn so much more about the industry as a whole because you're working on so many different aspects. You're not just stuck in one specific department, but also the workload is probably really high. And so you have to weigh that as you're looking at job opportunities. So those are the three different sizes, really, of publishers. And I mean, not all of the big five are like the same size and all of the mid-sized publishers are the same size and all of the indies are the same size. It's a spectrum, as most things in life are. But these three groupings help us to better understand the different scales and types of publishing that these different publishers can do. Before we come to the end of this episode, I do want to talk about one more thing that I think is really going to be helpful for new people looking to work in publishing, and that is to talk about the most common formats of books that are published within trade publishing. Because I don't know about others who work in this industry, but I had such a difficult time understanding the nuances between all these different types of formats. And so I do want to just give a very brief overview of the main types of book formats, at least that I've encountered while working in publishing. So the first and arguably the most common, maybe not arguably, but it maybe it just is the most common, but is the jacketed hardcover. So this is most books that are one color with just black text on white page. Most of those books are jacketed hardcover, which means there's a hardcover that's made of a tougher cardboard material. And then there's a jacket made of paper that is folded over to cover the cover to jacket it. These are the most common because a large percentage, I would think, of books published are one-color books, just words on a page. Another type of hardcover, though, that is less common but it is still seen quite often in the industry is a paper-over-board hardcover. A paper-over-board is similar to the jacketed hardcover because it also has a hardcover, but when you take the jacket off of a jacketed hardcover, you can see the case, as it's called, which is usually just a solid color of this, like, thick paper. Sometimes it has some embossing or debossing and some foil and some pretty stuff going on, but really it's just paper over a cover with a name on the spine, and that's pretty much it. So the paper over board hardcover 
is that same kind of case as a hardcover, like it's the same cardboardy, tough material. But instead of that solid color piece of paper that's covering that cardboard, Paper Overboard has a full four color printed piece of art. Basically, instead of a jacket that's folded over the cover, Paper Overboards have a jacket that's glued onto and becomes a part of the cover. So it can't be separated from it. it is intrinsically part of the cover. Paper overboards, in my experience at least, are primarily used for books for younger readers. So like middle grade books, graphic novels for younger kids, and then also for any types of books that have four color interiors that aren't just black and white text on a page. Coffee table type books, art books, those kinds of things that have a very beautiful cover, but it's not a separated jacket. Those seem to be the types of books that get the most paper overboard covers. The next type of format that's ubiquitous in the industry is a paperback. And anyone that doesn't know a paperback, it's pretty common knowledge, but a paperback is the pages with a more flimsy paper cover that covers the book and is printed on with color. They're often very beautiful, different effects and such, but they truly are just the pages bound with a paper cover wrapped around and attached. And so those are one of the most common, especially because most books that come out in jacketed hardcover also will come out in paperback usually a year or two after the initial publication. And that's because jacketed hardcovers cost more to produce and also don't sell as well. So something that costs less to produce will be able to be sold for less and therefore will be bought more. So paperbacks are, generally speaking, better sellers than jacketed hardcovers, unless it's a specific special collector's edition of a book where the consumer would want a very special type of book that's more high quality or something. But for the most part, people just want to read the book, so they're going to read the paperback. Another type of paperback related to this is the mass market paperback, which if you've ever been to a grocery store, a, a CVS type place, you've probably seen mass market paperbacks. These are like the romance novels, the mysteries, the very popular genres of books that are sold at convenience type stores. And they're the same thing as regular paperbacks, except that they're smaller so they can fit better on the shelves at those kinds of stores. And so mass market is a way to get books into stores that might otherwise not sell books. The next three formats are all to do with books in color for the most part. So the first is a picture book, which is for younger readers or depending on the format of the book or the general themes, it might be for adults as well. But for the most part, picture books are primarily targeted toward children and they are books, as their name suggests, with pictures. So the art and the text work together to tell the story. These books are generally much shorter, but also much larger in overall size, width and height. They usually run around like 32 to 40 pages, depending on the story. So again, they're for children. They cost a lot of money to print because they're printed in full color and they're very large books size-wise, not lengthwise, but in terms of width and height, they're larger books. And then the next format is the graphic novel, which I just want to say, I think I'm going to talk about this several times in this podcast because graphic novels are very confusing. And I myself was so confused by them when I first started in this industry. Graphic novels are a format of book. So any type of book really could be a graphic novel. Graphic novels are not inherently fiction. They're not inherently nonfiction. They're not inherently for kids or adults. They are a format. So any type of book really can become a graphic novel if they have art and text in conversation with each other to tell a story. That's kind of the gist. So there are adult graphic novels. There are children's graphic novels. There are graphic novels that are nonfiction. There are fiction graphic novels. There are so many different types of graphic novels because the graphic novel name is a format of book rather than like a genre. And then finally, there are board books. These are the type of book that you see toddlers chewing on. 
They are a very short book, usually like under 32 pages in total. And they are printed on very sturdy, thick cardboard that kids with chubby little fingers can open and play with and chew on without completely destroying them. And these are pretty much entirely for children. I don't know that any adult publishers really do board books for adults. Maybe they do. I'm not sure. But for the most part, these books are targeted toward children, specifically because they are much harder to destroy and therefore they can be read and used by much younger children who don't have respect or reverence for books to not destroy them. And board books, generally speaking, at least in my experience, oftentimes are conversions of picture books. So like the picture book will come out first. If it does well, or the team at a publisher thinks that a picture book will do better in a board book format, then they'll convert it to board book. Some books start out as board books, and they just always are board books. But in my experience, for the most part, board books come from picture books oftentimes. So it's just another way to sell a book that might otherwise not do as well in the other format. So those are the most common book formats, at least in my experience thus far. I think it's just helpful to have a better frame of reference of the different types of books and the different formats that they come in so that when we're having deeper conversations, you're not hung up on what these different terms mean. And this will be a common theme in the first few episodes of this podcast where I go through a lot of these kinds of topics and really give you a general understanding of different topics of publishing so that when you go into further episodes that are more in-depth and more specific and more tailored to a specific topic, you'll have a foundation from which to build your knowledge on, I guess is the goal. That is all that I wanted to cover for this episode of Slush. I hope that... Hearing some of this broad, general information about publishing is either refreshing for you, maybe it's something you already knew, but it's given you a little bit of a different way to think about it. Or if you were like me when I was first entering this industry, this might all be new information for you. And if that's the case, I hope that it's helpful. I hope that it helps to reframe some of this really opaque, fuzzy, hazy industry for you. Please feel free to reach out with any questions you have. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a wonderful day. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Slush. Please visit slushpod.com where you'll find episode transcripts, free resources, and forms to submit questions and feedback. You can also follow Slush on Twitter at slushpod, and if you are so inclined, please rate and review the podcast. Slush is hosted and produced by Eric Harden. Slush's logo was designed by Shelby Pack, and its theme music comes from the song Good Luck Charm by Olive Music. Any views expressed on the podcast are personal and do not reflect the opinions or interests of the hosts or guests' employers. Thank you again for listening. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.